Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to the Heritage Foundation's Bill of Rights webinar, Promoting America for the Next Generation. My name is Angela Saylor, and I'm the Vice President of the Edwin J. Fulner Institute here at Heritage. On behalf of our President Kay Coles-James, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, please note that all attendees are in listen-only mode, and this session will be recorded and accessible within 48 hours. We invite you also to submit any questions for our speakers in the question box. And I'll remind you of that periodically throughout the program. You know, after the Constitutional Convention of 1786, the decision to support or oppose the new plan of government came down to a critical question, whether we needed a Bill of Rights to protect individual liberties. After the early Americans had rebelled against Britain for not honoring their age-old liberties as Englishmen, liberties enshrined in the Magna Carta and the English Declaration of Rights, they fought a long war to protect these rights. Some pondered how then to best protect these rights under a new government. James Madison, who first opposed the Bill of Rights, then worked to rechannel public opposition to the Constitution and to acceptance for a Bill of Rights. Madison also stymied attempts by the Anti-Federalists to rewrite the Constitution. Therefore, Madison is rightly viewed as both the father of the Constitution and the father of the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights was established to protect our most cherished American freedoms, including freedom of speech, religion, assembly, and due process of law. For more than two centuries, we have exercised, tested, and debated these freedoms. And through it all, the Bill of Rights continues to shape what it means to be American. So as we celebrate the Bill of Rights, we have a dynamic lineup of speakers who are committed to teaching both history and civics and the recognition that the two belong together. Our featured guests understand that teaching history connects us to the past and celebrating our achievements can help unify us and push us forward in challenging times. And most importantly, they understand the importance of restoring civics. Robust civics education is critical to developing engaged citizens and a common bond and a sense of purpose among Americans of all generations. So I would like to welcome our first guest, Victoria Hughes, to the screen. Victoria Hughes is a dynamic leader. She has sought the challenge to make a difference, and this has allowed her to live an extraordinary life. Victoria continues to advance her over 40 years of educational and nonprofit experience with a deep commitment to our American founding principles. In 2020, Victoria was asked to serve as co-chair of the America 250 Civics and Civic Engagement Task Force. In this role, she is supporting the congressionally established semi-quincentennial commission's efforts 
to plan the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. I can think of no one more qualified for such a position of leadership. From 2013 to 2020, Victoria served as Senior Director of the Ashbrook Center, where she helped to equip thousands of teachers to put aside textbooks and instead use primary source documents to engage their students in discussions of the great issues of American history. And in 1999, Victoria established the Bill of Rights Institute and served as president for 11 years, preparing thousands of teachers to more effectively teach the Constitution. Victoria, again, congratulations on your new position. We are so excited um, that we are just only a few years away from 2026, uh, marking the 250th anniversary of our nation's founding. And we want to talk to you about this incredible leadership position you have um, and, and the mission to inspire the American spirit within all Americans and to engage all Americans in what will be the largest and most inclusive celebration and commemoration in our nascent history. So let's just get down to business and talk about this exciting moment for our country. Thank you, Angela. I am so delighted to be with you. Let me start off by saying happy Bill of Rights Day. <laughs> happy Bill of Rights Day. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you for asking the key question, what is America 250? Um, America 250 is the great national initiative to observe the 250th anniversary of American independence. We are looking forward to July 4th, 2026. It's the big day. And that is the day, of course, that um, the founders signed the Declaration of Independence in Philadelphia. And we know that 2026 is just around the corner. Well, you know, this it, it, it's, it's amazing that it is just around the corner. I mean, it's like in a blink, we're going to be there. Um, but it's it, it's it seems like you all are giving us enough time to really get prepared and to really get involved. So tell us why you're doing it as early as you are and um, what we should be gearing up for so that we can have full participation. Absolutely, absolutely, because America 250 is planning for more than just a one-day celebration. In the five years uh, leading up to the great anniversary, America 250 is putting together a three-stage plan. First, uh, we're working on restoration of important historic sites around the country that will encourage Americans to visit those sites and learn more about our great history. Uh, secondly, we're working on a few what we call national signature programs that will be managed by America 250 and enjoyed by millions of people uh, through the media as well as in person. But three, and very importantly for our, our listeners today, is that we really want to inspire Americans to develop and participate in tens of thousands of local programs in their own communities. So all this is going to take time. And as I said, five years is it's not that long a time to get ready. Right, right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about restoration um, and 
I mean, how can people find out about that that particular phase of this in terms of their local communities or looking to travel around the country? Well, you know, Angela, this is such a good question. Uh, one of the very first things that the America that the Commission has done was to put together a written plan and then present that plan to the president. And President Trump was presented with the plan just about a year ago, December of 2019. And you can find that plan uh, on our website, America250.org. Uh, it is lengthy, I have to warn you, it's over 400 pages. But if you want detail about the historic sites, that are being uh, focused, uh, the focus of the restoration, and they are all over the country. You can find that list in the report to the president. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, uh, in my mind, it's my, my, my brain is just spinning here in terms of, of what you've told us so far. So with the, the thousands of the events and activities that will take place uh, around the country, how, how will that play out? You know, can different individuals um, add to that list? Um, how do they find out where to go, what to do? Oh, you bet. We are counting on the American people to step up with their creativity <laughs> and develop programs in their local communities, in their schools, in their senior centers, everywhere to celebrate this great anniversary. Um, we at America 250 are eager to spark that conversation, to hear about your creative ideas. What I am really welcoming everyone to do is to go to that website, america250.org, sign up for our email newsletter. That way we can be in touch and uh, you can hear what plans are being made around the country. This might inspire you to plan something, uh, and we'd love to get you involved. In fact, that's one of my main goals. Well, so let's, like, because we've got lots of people listening. Um, so for the mother who has a, a, a child in kindergarten and wants to get involved to the senior in college, um, mm -hmm. to the head of an organization. I mean, how wildly creative um, is, how wildly creative can people really, really roll up their sleeves and dive into this celebration? Well, I think what we need to do is think about the big picture. First of all, we're not just focusing on the founding period. Of course, that is important. But we want to get Americans to increase their knowledge and understanding of our entire history. So from the American Revolution, the Civil War, uh, the westward expansion, the events of the 20th century, all the way up to the challenges that face our country today. And to reflect and think about how do our founding principles, how do the principles of the Declaration apply? When did we live up to those principles? When did we fail? And how can we do a better job of applying them today uh, to our country's challenges? So what can we do? Well, um, let's just use our imagination. 
Uh, we could do um, a poster contest. We could do an art show. We could do musical performances that reflect on our American themes. Uh, we might do a lecture series. Your book club could select books to study. Um, you know, I'm really counting on um, even our senior centers to share memories, to reflect on these great ideas, share them with the younger generation. They need to hear your voice. So this is something for everyone in every perspective. We have new immigrants to our country. We have people who are descendants of the original founders. They all have their stories that we need to hear. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, we're in this we're in this transitional COVID-19 deal where we're all trying to climb our way out of this. And what we've seen uh, here at Heritage across the nation is that families have become uh, incredibly uh, creative during this time of, of being in a house together and, and with uh, you know limit, limitations on the different types of things they have been accustomed to doing. And it seems like what you all are planning gives Americans across the country, you know, east and west, north and south, uh, another opportunity to just really look at bonding as a family, bonding as a community, bonding as a state. I mean, what a story about civil society. So tell us a little bit more about like who's leading this effort. We know you are, <laughs> but who else is behind the curtain? Oh, no, I, I'm just there to support the commission. Uh, the commission was established by Congress about two years ago, and the commission consists of eight members of Congress, 16 private citizens, and nine heads of federal agencies. They're the leadership, and they're the ones who will be showing us the way. Uh, to assist them, they have established some task forces, and I'm excited to be serving on the Civics and Civic Engagement Task Force, but we're there to help the commissioners pull this off. Okay. Well, Victoria, tell us why this is significant to have um, such a distinguished group of people leading this effort and and what that means for it, you know, being able to embrace all Americans. Well, you know, it's something that we've really thought deeply about. Um, the commission, again, has charged us in the task forces to reach out to every American community. We're looking for people with different points of view from different parts of the country with different experiences. Um, and, and really welcoming them to help to plan the celebration. And, and our goals, um, you know, I think it's really important that we're clear. Uh, although we wanted everybody to have a good time, uh, mm -hmm. we're, we're gonna go way beyond that. Our goals are threefold. We want to educate, increase Americans' understanding of our founding principles, of our history, our unique system of constitutional self-government, and to listen to our unique American stories. Secondly, we want them to engage, uh, to encourage them to exercise their rights and responsibilities, to uh, 
engaged in civic conversations and in an efforts to serve in their communities. And finally, to unite, you know, to really spotlight, especially during this really challenging time, to spotlight on what we hold in common as Americans while respecting our differences but protecting our right to pursue the Declaration's promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So that's our goal. Well, I tell you, we could go on and on. There's just so much to know about this. Um, and I, I, I'm sure people wrote down the website and we'll continue to remind people of that website for America 250. Um, and what we'll do, Victoria, is I, there, I know they're gonna have numerous questions in the queue to dig deeper and, and to really find out how we can help you and, and the, the role that you have on, on the task force. Um, so what I'm gonna do is we are going to, we've got a few more people that we're gonna bring on to talk to, to our participants today. Uh, but to all of you, have no fear, she's coming back uh, to join us for the Q&A and we'll get to probe more about America 250. So Victoria, thank you and we'll bring you back on the screen soon. Thank you, Angela. All right. Well, when I opened the program, I told you we had several dynamic speakers, and that is true. Uh, Janine Turner, founder and co-president of Constituting America, is going to join us next to share how Constituting America works to reverse the trend of civic apathy in our society by encouraging all Americans to engage in efforts to bring about change through the effective use of individual liberties and rights granted to them by our common creator and guaranteed by the Bill of Rights put forth by the U.S. Constitution. Janine Turner is likely um, to be a friend that you're yearning to meet or a friend you have known for years. She is an Emmy and three-time Golden Globe nominated actress known to millions of fans for her role as Maggie O'Connell, in the CBS hit Emmy award-winning show, Northern Exposure. In addition to her accomplished acting career, Janine is a radio show talk host, and uh, she is a nationally televised political analyst, newspaper columnist, and public speaker. Janine, welcome to the screen. I am going to turn it over to you to tell us uh, exactly what you're up to with Constituting America, on this wonderful day of celebrating the Bill of Rights. Great, hi Angela, can you see me? Did I do everything correctly? You did, and I'm gonna let you be here by yourself for a few minutes. So you've got the floor. <laughs> okay, thank you Angela. Thank you the Heritage Foundation to be a part of, you know, to be with you today on this great day, the Bill of Rights. Happy Bill of Rights, everybody. I have on my red, white, and blue to celebrate the day. Um, it's an honor to be here and to speak with all of you about the Bill of Rights. And I have five minutes, so I'm, you know, I'm an actress, I'm pretty chatty, but I, I'm going to try to limit this. Um, at Constituting America, our goal is to reach Americans, but most especially the rising generations, about why the United States Constitution matters. And what we believe at Constituting America is we have two, you know, we, we're a multi-tiered program with studies and a contest. But also our two programs about, you know, I'm gonna focus on two programs today. We really have two challenges in our country today. One is knowledge about the United States Constitution, but also 
why it matters and how to apply it to somebody's life. Um, that it's not just that, you know, they're not just doing hocus pocus up there in Washington, D.C. It, it, it starts with us. But the rules and the rule book, why the Constitution is important, how the limited government prevents tyranny from the legislature, from Congress. We always think of the president, but how about Congress, the president, the judicial branch? Because it's the limited government and preventing tyranny that protects our beloved Bill of Rights. And without our Bill of Rights, we do not have a republic. So there's a challenge with knowledge today in our country um, and, and, and the application of why this knowledge matters. The second thing that's really important in our country today and our second challenge is how to have a civil civic conversation. We don't know how to do that. We've lost that in our country, unfortunately. Um, and so students don't know how to how to desire to have a conversation with somebody else, how to seek it, how to accept it, how to learn from someone else's point of view, thus how to reason. So what we believe is that if we don't have the knowledge about the Constitution, which protects our Bill of Rights, and if we can't reason and listen to each other, we will lose our republic. Thus, we have two programs, and I want to touch on two of them of, of the four or five that we have at Constitution America. The first one is the George Washington Speaking Initiative, and we can come right into your civic organization, into your homeschool, or into your school. We've reached over 42,000 students. We've been in hundreds of schools across the country, and I personally have given over 500 speeches into these schools. It's the George Washington Speaking Initiative, and it's Socratic. And I love going in. I speak with middle school, even elementary, fifth grade, uh, fifth grade, middle school, high school, college. But the, the sweet spot is really fifth grade, middle school, going into high school. And I, I, I walk into this classroom and have a Socratic conversation with them. And what I've realized is we have to meet these students where they are. And so what I do is I talk about, I read, I talk about George, uh, Abraham Lincoln, said that the Declaration of Independence was the golden apple and the Constitution is the frame that protects that apple. And what is the Constitution, uh, what does the Declaration say? Well, of course, we hold these truths to be self-evident that we, you know, we are our creator gives us our rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But there's this really important sentence here. This is what I teach the kids. Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And when I tell the students who mainly in school today just learn how the government works, they don't learn how they work in the government. So I talk to them about that they are, the cons they give the consent and that it really matters. In order to hone it in to their own lives, I ask them to think about three, something in their lives that they would like to change in their neighborhood or at the government. Sometimes they're too young to think about the government. These students say amazing things. We want less potholes. More, well, we speak to a lot of Title I schools. More, uh, more lights, less drugs, better, better breaks for small businesses. We want to be able to dig our own well in our backyard. I mean, it's fascinating to hear what these students will actually say that they want to change. And when they do, I say, okay, I want you to feel empowered. Even at your age, you don't have to vote yet. You don't have to be 18. Here's how the Bill of Rights works. Here's the application. Here, and I ask, tell them that the, that the First Amendment spells raps, freedom of religion, assembly, press, petition, and speech. And I go through with them. I have them write out a petition. So they get a piece of paper and they tell me what they want to change. Sometimes it's about immigration. You, you never know what they're going to say, but I accept whatever they say because it's what they want to change. I don't go into politics. And we write the title at the top, and then I teach them how to just bullet point a petition. So I say, these are why the, the Bill of Rights matter. This is why the freedom of speech matters. So it, it, in a time capsule here, I teach them that to write a petition, then to use their speech to talk about it, 
to get signatures, to, to talk. Speech is so important. I'm talking about how billions of people in the country don't have that right. And that tyranny and loss of limited government is how we lose it. Um, and I also teach them how to, to use the press. You call them, you tell them you've got this petition you're writing, and then to plan their assembly. That you can assemble first, but mainly it's really great because we're a nation of laws to assemble last. And then you have your petition, you know what you want, you, you're using your speech and your press, and now you're going to assemble. And I tell them to call, not Ghostbusters, they all say Ghostbusters, I tell them to call their representative. How they can't even get to the president. So why does everyone think the president's the most important person? They need to vote in the midterm too. And they need to call their local representative and I teach them how to find, oh, did I go away? No, you're okay. I teach them, okay, I teach them how to find that person. Um, how am I doing on time here? Am I doing all right? Yeah, we, we're getting close. <laughs> okay, so in the, in the last minute, I will talk about our second program because they call, so they call their representative and they, they learn how to petition the government and, and uh, talk to their representative. So in other words, they are the consent. They're the, they're the ones that learn how to use the government. The second one is how to have a civil civic conversation briefly. No one knows how to do it anymore. So we take a subject such as climate change and we say pro and con. Come on, we want kids that believe in it, kids that don't. Very few don't. They're brave souls, maybe three or four that come up. And we have them have an unbiased debate. Then we give them articles on the opposing point of view that they have to read. And then we have them pick three things with which they agree in the opposing point of view that they never knew about in the opposing point of view. And then they come together and have a civil civic conversation. They learn to reason about both sides. And lastly, they create a bill. They create a bill with a for climate change where both points of view come together to find common ground and what we want them to do in Washington, D.C. So that's in a nutshell two of the things we think are really important. Why limited government matters, the knowledge of that, how to apply that to their own lives, and then how to have reason with a civil civic conversation. Janine, <laughs> so much. I mean, the energy that you bring, I can only imagine um, how those young people are looking into your eyes and, and being inspired to do all of the things that you laid out. And it's, it's so refreshing to hear how you're engaging with them in a way um, that they can really feel empowered um, to, to think big and to think in a mature way towards preserving this wonderful place called America. So we are gonna bring you back shortly uh, to engage in the Q&A. And again, I wanna remind you, if you've got questions, to please log them into the Q&A box and we will get your questions answered shortly. Uh, you know, as we transition to our next speaker, during his trip to the United States in the 1830s, the great French thinker Alexis de Tocqueville marveled at what he called the science of association, the American habit of citizens coming together to solve problems or achieve shared purposes. Our next speaker, Kim Cromer, serves as the executive director for the National Christian Forensics and Communications Association. NCFCA is a Christian speech and debate league for high schools, um, and it, it's designed to empower high school students to apply and communicate their worldview with skill and clarity. As the executive director, Kim provides vision and operational oversight for the organization and encourages both parents and young people in their faith, leadership, and communication skills 
Welcome Kim as she shares how civic actors work alongside the family and exercise their First Amendment rights to expand the lifeblood of Republican self-government in America. Kim, welcome. Thank you, Angela. So <laughs> exciting to be here. Well, I'm going to leave you and let you have the floor for a few minutes. That sounds great. Thank you so much to the Heritage Foundation for helping us all remember and celebrate the Bill of Rights. When my oldest daughter was 12 years old, a friend introduced me to NCFCA Christian Speech and Debate. My daughter, like most young people, was being introduced to the wider world around her and beginning to wrestle with new ideas that she was presented with. So my friend thought I might be interested in her participating in debate. But since I hadn't had a forensics background from high school or college, I had perhaps some stereotypical visions of what I thought debate might look like. Debaters trying to prove um, I'm right and you're wrong, or people talking over each other or yelling at each other, um, empty promises, inflammatory rhetoric. I'm really glad to tell you that I had a lot to learn. NCFCA debate gives students the opportunity to wrestle with relevant issues in the world around them um, in a competitive setting online or in person. Of course, that's thanks to COVID um, that does have a few silver linings here. Um, we have three styles of debate that students can choose to focus on policy debate where they research, prepare for, and debate issues like our policy with China or the Middle East or policies that might be related to environmental issues. They could also choose to focus on value debate where they learn about and debate the philosophical underpinnings of issues like whether the right to privacy in an election should trump the right for the public to know more about the candidates or whether idealism is more important than pragmatism, or they could choose moot court, which allows students to understand more about the appellate court system and how to apply the law to questions that they may see before the actual real courts in our country. NCFCA also offers a speech program where students can manage um, to present messages of importance to them uh, in 10 different categories like extent, where they're uh, studying current events, persuasive speaking or informative speaking. You might be surprised to find out that thousands of young people each year, ages 12 to 18, like my daughter, want to actually spend hours poring over journal articles or writing speeches, listening to webinars, and engaging in question and answer sessions with our friends there at the Heritage Foundation. But we've found that our young people long to be part of something bigger than just a social media um, blitz or pop culture. They're looking for a meaningful challenge and a platform to share and test their ideas. They long to find common ground with others, even while they're clarifying their own convictions, and that through debate in particular, students learn how to discuss big ideas, discern truth, solve problems, persuade one another, um, so that like our founding fathers, they can continue to strengthen our democratic institutions and secure the values of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. One of the things that sets NCFCA apart is that our students don't compete in front of trained judges. We actually believe that to be effective communicators wherever they're called in life, they have to be able to communicate with everyone. 
those who agree with them, who disagree with them, those who have experience on the topic that they're being presented with, or those who have no knowledge of the topic. For this reason, we invite judges from the community at large, whether it be online or at an in-person tournament, to listen to the speeches and the debates and to provide feedback for our young people. Input from this wide array of people gives them the ability to assess their ideas, improve their communication skills from tournament to tournament. Our debaters also have another challenge to meet that Janine just touched on. Of course, they need to be logical and articulate and persuasive, but they also need to be respectful. Civil discourse is oft missing, but much needed in our society. And therefore we put a special emphasis on respecting your opponent. So today, as we celebrate the signing of the Bill of Rights, we recognize that the protections outlined it are at risk even today. As Ronald Reagan so aptly said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. So since 2001, NCFCA Christian Speech and Debate has been doing that. We continue to be intent on passing on the ability to understand, think, and share the message of freedom that's outlined in our founding documents to our next generation of leaders. Thank you, Kim. Wow, I tell you, I'm sure that all the folks who are listening and participating in this webinar are gonna to wanna to know more about what you're doing and we appreciate your leadership. And we're gonna invite you to come back uh, and join in the Q&A session uh, at the end. Again, I wanna remind you to please log your questions uh, in, the, in the chat so that we can make sure we get your responses. Um, incredible programs that we're seeing here today and want you to know how to be connected or how to do similar things in, in your own communities. Our next speaker is Dr. Andrew Bolger, who serves as the director of the William S. Knight Center for the Patriotic Education, as well as the director of the Keter Center for Character Education at the College of the Ozarks. In these roles, he oversees a variety of programs that promote character development, vocational calling, and civic engagement in order to revive virtue in America's civic life. Andrew, welcome to the screen and, and tell us about the incredible work you are leading to encourage an understanding of American heritage, civic responsibility, love of country, and the willingness to defend it. I think that the quote that Kim just used about President Reagan also speaks to the heart and depth of the work you're doing. Over to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Angela, for allowing us to share a little bit about College of the Ozarks and to the other panelists and the Heritage Foundation for helping host this event. Patriotic education is foundational to College of the Ozarks and School of the Ozarks, the college's K through 12 laboratory school. Our institution is distinct in that it incorporates patriotic education from kindergarten through college. Learning liberty is the essence of patriotic education. Learning liberty is not limited to a set of historical dates, documents, or pieces of information. It requires that Americans cultivate a shared identity inspired by the ideals that formed our nation. Our program is built around four pillars of patriotic education that help our students learn and live liberty. These pillars include, first, Liberty's foundation, 
Liberty's lessons is number two. Liberty's cost is number three. And Liberty's legacy is our final pillar. Throughout the rest of the presentation, I'd like to illustrate how our programming occurs across these pillars. First is Liberty's foundation. This pillar has been embedded in the college's model since its founding. In 1906, James Forsyth, a Presbyterian missionary, founded the school to provide a Christian education for underprivileged students from the Ozarks region. To accomplish this goal, Forsyth established a work education model where students work to pay for their education. Through generous gifts, this mission continues today. Students work at the college's workstations and graduate debt-free with practical work experience and a baccalaureate degree. Hard Work You, dubbed so by the Wall Street Journal in 1973, extends to even our kindergartners to complete age-appropriate chores. Hard work gains traction when our economic system strengthens free enterprise. At the college, we understand this personally as so many of our students through hard work and education escape prisons of poverty through the college's program. And this is why the college actively educates students on the moral value of democratic capitalism while they attend the college. Now to our second pillar, Liberty's Lessons. Learning Liberty's Lessons is essential to the American experience. This requires trust in the documents and people that shaped America's founding. And we begin this process early at Hard Work U. On this day, as we pause to remember the Bill of Rights, our kindergartners have memorized the preamble to the Constitution, our second graders the opening paragraphs of the Declaration of Independence, our fourth graders the opening paragraphs of Thomas Paine's Common Sense, and our sixth graders have memorized the full length of the Bill of Rights. A knowledge of America's founding documents forms the basis of Liberty's lessons. However, it also extends beyond memorization to the embodiment of the ideals that shaped America. This is why at both the college and lab school, we have a patriotic education core curriculum to help our students engage their citizenship and community. Our core curriculum at the college includes Patriotic Education One, which encourages an understanding of American heritage and civic responsibilities. In order to pass this course, students must demonstrate a mastery of America's citizenship test. The Patriotic Education Two, which includes the E. Bruce Heilman Citizen Trip, which sends all our graduating seniors to Washington, D.C to experience America's history and the monuments firsthand. How many colleges nowadays even require one American history course, let alone a sequence of patriotic education courses? As a Christian college, we believe that faith provides the ethical foundation for all civic endeavors. As de Tocqueville observed, liberty cannot be established without morality or morality without faith. Without character, liberty is untethered. And this is why the college's character curriculum runs parallel to the patriotic education. When talking about courageous citizens, we must remember the sacrifices of veterans and liberty's cost. We do this through a variety of programs, but most notably through our patriotic education travel program, which pairs veterans and college students to travel to historic battle sites. This is also why our, our president, Jerry C. Davis, and our board of trustees want to leave a legacy through the William S. Knight Center and the William S. Knight Foundation to establish a legacy of transforming patriotic education in our nation. In order to do this, we're going to launch an endeavor on the National Symposium on Patriotic Education on Constitution next day next year. We invite all those listening to come and join us. American freedom and growth is built on these four pillars of patriotic education. The college is happy to take up the mantle of leadership and reviving them in America's educational system. Thank you, Dr. Bolger. Wow, you have truly outlined for us 
several models working to preserve freedom, um, to empower the next generation, and to develop citizens who will continue to pioneer and innovate for our country. We're going to invite you back after our final speech speaker, um, Dr. Tom Lindsay, for Q&A. Again, I want to remind you, please log your questions in the question box. Uh, we want to be able to have a healthy, hearty discussion about the things that you're thinking about. As I just said, our final speaker is Dr. Tom Lindsay, Distinguished Senior Fellow of Higher Education and Constitutional Studies at the Texas Policy Public Policy Foundation in Austin, Texas. He has more than two decades experience in education management and instruction, including service as a dean, provost, and college president. Tom, welcome. Your scholarship on civics education has helped to inform parents, teachers, lawmakers, you name it, all across this nation. And you have said families have the most power to change America's civic education crisis. Um, and so as our final presenter, we look forward to hearing about your work and why you believe, and I'm gonna quote you here, and you said, in the final count, only families can be counted on to have the incentive to seek the best education possible for their children. So over to you. Thank you, Angela. And, and I wanna thank you, and I wanna thank the Heritage Foundation for putting together this wonderful panel to celebrate the 229th birthday of the ratification of the Bill of Rights. And in the hope that uh, we can still have the Bill of Rights 220 years uh, from this time, um, we have our work cut out for us. And when I say, uh, Angela mentioned my focus on families, let me tell you why. Uh, last summer, I was teaching uh, a, a, an institute on civics for Texas K-12 civics teachers. And in the class, an eighth grade civics teacher told me and the class, she said that by the time students are middle school age, they come to school already cynical about the American regime. Middle school age. And this is what I mean when I say our work, we really have our work uh, cut out for us. Now, it's not surprising this cynicism that we see among young people about America because it's a reflection of our failure to provide a genuine civic education. Polling has showed that only 19% of native-born American citizens can pass the US citizenship test. Now, let me explain what that means. The U.S. citizenship test, which all immigrants of this country have to take to become citizens, consists of only 10 questions. You only have to get six right. Now, the good news is 91% of immigrants pass the test. The bad news is only 19% of native-born Americans under the age of 45 can get even six out of 10 right. Now, what are we doing about that? Well, here in Texas, we're fighting on three fronts. First, we got a bill passed last session that embeds 10 questions from the U.S. citizenship test into our students' junior year end of course exam in which they take U.S. history. We want to find out just how badly or well Texas students are doing. We suspect that Texas is not immune to these national uh, statistics. Just as important, and second, 
We are working to block bad so-called civics legislation. And by that, I mean specifically legislation that aims to establish what is called action civics or project-based learning civics. Um, what action civics boils down to, and I did a research study on this, and I, and I talked about this in a previous Heritage panel, action civics is simply teaching kids how to protest in favor of left-wing causes. The bad news is it's sweeping the country. And so our efforts are just as much to block the bad bills as it is to get a good bill passed. And then third and last, our Summer Institute for Civics Teachers, where we bring in Texas civics teachers from across the state, beginning next year, from across the country. And I hold and I have them there for 30 hours. It's all expenses paid. They receive a stipend. And there we go through the Declaration and the Constitution and the Federalist Papers and the Lincoln-Douglas debates. In other words, the foundations of a genuinely civic education. I believe that that's the only road to restoring our country. And I'm grateful to you for giving me the opportunity to talk about that today. Thank you, Dr. Lindsay. I want to um, uh, just say, I think you, you, it looks like you struck a chord with our participants when you mentioned action civics. Um, I'm starting to see a lot of questions um, being logged into the, into the question box. But as we prepare to dive into some of the questions that are on the minds of, of the participants, I wanna invite all of our speakers back to the screen um, to, to be able to engage in um, a civil conversation, uh, as all of you have mentioned, that is a key part of, of what you do. One question that's come through uh, is, is probing about social media and the bias um, that this particular person, they didn't tell us their name, but they, they're, they're concerned that there's um, an overwhelming amount of liberalism, socialism, and communism uh, on Instagram and, and, and Twitter, for example. And so I'd like to give each of you um, a quick 10 seconds, 15 seconds to tell us how you're using social media to combat um, bias um, through your organization uh, in order to draw students in or, or your constituency into a healthy dialogue uh, that's balanced and, and one that talks about uh, the embracing of all Americans working together. So why don't we start with you, Kim, on that one? Great, thank you, Angela. It's a great question. You know, our, um, our mission is to provide a platform for that civil conversation. Um, so we do use social media to help our students engage with that conversation to really um, wrestle with those ideas that are maybe put out there um, in the liberal media so that they can um, learn how to um, really agree with what we can agree with and to defend um, what we really feel like we need to defend as well. Awesome. Um, Janine, let's go to you. Uh, you're, you're reaching a, a even younger demographic. Uh, you're talking about the fifth graders. How are you all using social media to engage and, and to ensure that there's an alternative out there 
uh, to the rhetoric and, and, and the information and resources. Well, it's very important, and we believe at Constituting America that if we can't affect the culture, we will never reach the Democrats or the people that don't believe in in uh, founding principles. And now I'm not saying all Democrats don't believe in the founding principles, but you know, as as Tom Lindsay was saying, there's there's there seems to be a, a wave happening that we need to combat. And what what we what we, we do is say, okay, if we meet them where they are. And, and and say this is how you use the Constitution, but this is why it matters. And the because the Constitution is considered liberal, uh, it's very conservative, and yet the Constitution is for everybody. So if we can teach them how how the Constitution is actually a, a very valuable document, slowly but surely they'll start to say, oh, I need that Constitution. Oh, it really matters, and they'll realize that the Constitution is is for them as well that's the goal to kind of hook them and then to say uh, okay reel them in and say okay the, the constitution really matters and we do that now with ads on snapchat and on uh, instagram and we've hired two of our winners who are at brigham young university they're obviously graduating college students and they, they major in media and they create all these fabulous cartoons for us and we buy ads or put them out on social media and we're getting thousands and thousands and millions of clicks. So we're trying to reach them where, once again, where they are, intrigue them, and then they go, oh, what's this? And then they come and learn. Wonderful. Andrew, over to you. How's the College of the Ozarks taking social media and using it to its greatest and highest use? We try to celebrate things that are already occurring on campus. For instance, next spring, we're hosting a large forum on free enterprise that pits capitalism versus socialism against each other, because that's one of the most resonant political issues that our students face. We do a similar thing in educating all our students about the difference between 1776 and 1619 projects. And I think helping students be able to reason through those things, as Kim talked about, is one of the most powerful social media tools we can use. Mm -hmm. And Victoria, I'm going to twist the question a little bit for you because it seems like uh, social media may be another tool for people to be engaged in America 250. Tell us more. Well, Angela, I'm sure that you are right, but I do need to admit that this is not an area of my particular expertise, but I do know that America 250 has, has a very robust communication plans in the works. So please stay tuned. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Tom, I'm going to give you another question. There are a couple of questions here that are directed straight to you. Um, and one of them is, what can we do to get states to require civics education programs in their schools? So you've talked a little bit about Texas and, and the exam uh, and, and being able to test those questions. but I guess this person may not be from Texas and wants to know what they can do or, or what's going on that they can get involved in towards this effort. That's a great question. Um, I mean, we pursue legislative efforts, we have and will continue to do so, but I think we all know that looking to legislatures to solve problems sometimes creates additional problems of its own. And that was what I meant, Angela, and you quoted what I said before about the primacy of families acting. First and foremost, you've got to go to the PTA meetings. You've got to go to the school board meetings because you've got to see how the sausage gets made. Uh, that's first and foremost. Um, I also, I mean, when your universities call and ask for donations, as they always do, ask them, 
do you require at your university a course in American civics, regardless of major for all your students? When they say no, then you say, call me back when you do, right? It's the only way it's going to happen. Right? So I think that now is the time, even though it's not, it's, it's not pleasant to go sit for six hours through a contentious school board meeting, but the other side's been doing it for a hundred years. And that's why we're behind the eight ball today. We're in, we are in a war and we've got to act like it. So to the other, to the other speakers here, I, you know, this, the issue of parental involvement in families is really critical as Tom just said. Um, and your organizations are clearly creating an opportunity to, for parents to be involved and to empower them. But let's spend a couple of minutes here because I think this is so important. We here at Heritage have been talking about transparency and curricula across the country, um, which this has become a really big issue during COVID as parents are kind of looking over at their ch ch children's computer and they're seeing what's going on there. Uh, and it's also um, sparking the conversation about choice, um, school choice. So um, to you, can you tell us, you know, what you're doing that's working so well that empowers parents, that keeps them front and center, and why, why you see this as essential um, to the success of your programs? Families have always been part of our program. In fact, the program wouldn't exist even today without our our parents and their participation. I mentioned the uh, the community judges that we invite in. That makes up about half of the feedback and input that our students get, but the other half comes from parents. Um, so parents attend tournaments with their students and are engaged. So they're there really at the at the ground level of the competition, but also they're preparing at home. They're preparing to have those um, to have those debates or present those speeches and really digging in together. You know, our organization has probably about 95% homeschoolers um, as our base. So, um, but we've recently welcomed in um, other Christian families that might be looking for opportunities to engage their students in this way. So um, we'd love to have more families. Family's important to us. Andrew, how about you? I mean, you've got K through 12, college. Uh, tell, us, tell us the magic about having families involved in the formula and, and being able to be successful. Well, I think there's two things that are really fundamental to citizenship, and that's faith and that's family. I think the building blocks of citizenship are built in those domains as we cultivate citizens of character and citizens who are deeply embedded in relationship. Our Dean of the Lab School consistently says at the start of every school year that we are partnering with the parents. And that's really the way that we see patriotic education working itself out, especially through our K through 12. But I think we also have to admit as a nation that the citizenship crisis that Tom illustrated is really a K through college issue. In college, students are not encountering these principles, ideals that shape America's founding, they're not being expected to engage in American citizenship, and that needs to change. Wonderful. Well, you know this always happens. We start to run out of time. Um, but one of the things that I promised each of our speakers is that I wanted to give them an opportunity to 
leave you with, if it was their last moment to say something, what they would say to you as families, as parents, as students, as citizens of, of the United States. Um, and so we're gonna do that. And I'm gonna start with Janine. Uh, and Janine, as you do your closing statement, there was a question in the queue asking how to get involved with your organization. Wonderful, thank you. You're ready to start with me. <laughs> I have to keep it to a minute. <laughs> um, once again, thank you so much. Well, our organization is constitutingamerica.org. We, of course, would love your involvement, your ideas. Come join us. We have so many different programs. And I, I believe um, in closing, as we're talking about faith, which is also, we, you know, I believe is paramount personally. Um, how, you know, and as parents, Usually, you know, parents need to be very, very involved because I think what's happening is so many parents in our country today are relying on the schools to raise our children and, and, and imbue them with values. Just the way today, instead of we've heard a lot to today about democracy, uh, democracy in America, how in the olden days, in the beginning of our country, we relied on ourselves and our faith and our, you know, our ingenuity amongst and, and the way we took care of neighbors. Now we rely on the government. So that's the kind of the theme. The government can do it for me. And also the schools can, do it, can teach my kids. So it is really, really important to empower your children and to empower them at home, teach them at home, talk about the founding principles. You know, my daughter's written a book, Our Constitution Rocks. I, mean, I raised her with, you know, reading the Federalist Papers to me on the way to ballet class. Um, <laughs> but also in closing, it's really important to teach them how to have that conversation with people out there that want to mow them down, uh, to be brave, to to learn that it's okay to engage and not to cower back, because I think it's become really difficult for the youth today to speak their minds that if they're if they're coming from a different point of view. Wonderful, Tom. Over to you. Thank you, Angela. As we know, civic education is intended to inform students about the principles of the American regime and then to prepare them to defend our way of life. You cannot defend what you don't understand. And as we see, too few students through no fault of their own, no longer even understand what America is. And instead what they're getting, such as action civics and social justice is arguments that are the antithesis of America as founded. It's been said that the philosophy taught in the classroom in this generation will be the philosophy practiced in the legislature in the next generation. Therefore, our work couldn't be more important or more urgent. Thank you. Well said. Kim, over to you. You know, Angela, our next generation of leaders can learn effective communication skills through competitive speech and debate. Of course, we're passionate about teaching these skills to all Christian young people because our God-given freedom that we've talked about today is worth defending. I hope that you'll visit us at our website at ncfca.org to join or to volunteer to judge. So I invite all my panelists, co-panelists, to um, judge at an upcoming tournament so we can help raise up that next generation of leaders. Thank you. Andrew? The College of the Ozarks and the William S. Knight Center for Patriotic Education. We believe that the process of reviving historic American values and virtues and a strong national identity in youth has to occur K through college. We can't stop at certain levels. It must be a consistent endeavor 
from kindergarten through university. Victoria, I'm gonna close it out with you and I just wanna make sure that everyone understands that this was your first public event um, to talk about the incredible work that you're doing with America 250. And we feel so special to be able to have you first and to get the inside story. So over to you. Thank you, Angela. By July 4th, 2026, America 250 hopes to inspire the creation of 100,000 programs to educate, engage, and unite Americans around our founding principles. We are hoping to engage 350 million Americans in our effort, but most importantly, we are hoping to renew a commitment uh, to our founding principles and increase respect for our country's founding principles among all Americans. So we ask you to please explore our website, America250.org, sign up for our newsletter, and tell your friends, your family, and colleagues about plans for the great anniversary, and begin thinking about how you can organize programs in your school, in your community, um, education programs, lecture series, um, poster contests, musical performances, community service projects, all to celebrate uh, what it means to be an American on our 250th anniversary. Wow, thank you all. You have been incredible guests today. Um, and we here at Heritage look forward to continuing to work with you. Um, thank you for participating and listening in and, and sending your questions. And on behalf of our president, Kay Coles James, Happy Bill of Rights Day, and we hope you have a happy holiday season, and we look forward to seeing you more next year.